Well, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you. My name is Josh. I'm so glad I get to speak to you all uh, in person before our family heads off to Minto at the end of the year. So we're really just glad that you can be here in the building. Welcome to you for joining with us online. We've got a great, challenging part of God's Word for us. So how about we pray as we come to look at it together? Let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God that we can trust. Help us be faithful to you and to your Son and to live lives for His glory. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, one of the most neglected verses in the Bible has to be 2 Timothy 3.12. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not really quoted quite as often as John 3.16. It's almost one of those promises you wish wasn't there. The promise God didn't keep. But it's true. And you can almost measure whether or not you're living a godly life by the fact you experience some form of persecution. You see, why is it when people hear the good news about Jesus Christ and the promised gift of the Holy Spirit and the complete fresh start, they are attracted, then pull back? Why is it some people accept Christ but then refuse to go to church and go public? Or why is it some people go to church but they don't stay? Or why do some accept Christ, go to church, stick around, but don't tell anybody about it? And really, it's because of one experience, pressure, family pressure, peer pressure, what the Bible calls persecution. It has many faces and it looks different for different people around the world, but every Christian experiences it one way or another if you want to live a godly life and side with Jesus. But you don't need to live in a heavily persecuted part of the world where your life is threatened. You can simply experience persecution and pressure from a religious home. And then all of a sudden, you become a Christian, you cop it in the neck. One minute, you're the favoured child, and then you become, then you come to Christ, and you become the black sheep of the family. Or you can come from a non-religious home. True story. At my university days, one of the women, young women in our Christian group, she had come to Christ And her parents had rejected her, evicted her from their house. And get this, why? Because she refused to sleep with her boyfriend anymore and stopped getting drunk every single weekend at different parties. I mean, we as a culture have got things the wrong way around at that point. Her parents were offended by the restoration Jesus made in her life. Well, Jesus has much to say on this reality of persecution and pressure. And in a nutshell, what he's saying is this, congratulations, those of you who are persecuted, you are in fine company. But our passage begins with Jesus, he's at the top of the mountain and he's praying. Remember, every time in the Gospel of Luke, when he mentions that Jesus prays, you know something significant is about to take place in salvation history. So Jesus comes down from the mountain and he starts to speak and it's like he's the new Moses the better Moses, he's ushering in this new covenant, a new people of God is being formed as he calls from his disciples, 12 apostles. And so let's pick it up at verse 12. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. 
Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus has been up on the mountain praying all night, and he appoints 12 who will be the foundation of his church. And like Jesus, you know, we should be people of prayer. One of the big shifts in our thinking is we need to move from dependence on ourselves onto a greater dependence on God. Now, I am pleading with you, do not come out of this lockdown, where I know a lot of you have prayed more often than you have in your Christian lives, and cease to pray. Don't let the days roll by that you don't open God's Word and you don't come before God in prayer. We cannot be what God calls us to be unless you get your prayer life into gear. I mean, choose a method that works for you because prayer is a must if we are to be what God calls us to be. Jesus here is praying. The Son of God is praying. How much more for the rest of us? But I think the point being made here is that the Father is setting the agenda for Jesus. As he comes to his Father in prayer and then he calls out the twelve, they will be apostles, sent ones, those who are sent out as messengers, as eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. Because remember this, Christianity is not a private revelation. It is a public declaration. It is grounded in history with eyewitnesses, people who saw what Jesus did, and they recorded it from different angles, and they wrote it down for us. And you see here these 12 apostles, they are stepping into the footsteps of the 12 tribes of Israel as the new people of God are being formed, and Jesus is about to instruct them on the nature of persecution. And you only have to go through the list, this list of apostles, to realize, with good reason, that he's about to speak to them about persecution. Because it's true for all disciples, but look at this list. James, the brother of John, he's the first apostle to die, be martyred amongst the twelve. Not the first martyr of of Christianity, but the first of the twelve to be killed for following Jesus. John, his brother, is exiled in the island of Patmos, punished for his faith his faith in the Lord Jesus. Tradition tells us that the Apostle Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Jesus is calling and forming and forging a new people. And by the time you get to the end of this list, there is a traitor. Death is coming to all, including Jesus himself. But before we get to Jesus' sermon, have a look at these three verses that we could just easily skip over because they have some vital information to help us with what Jesus is saying about being blessed here. You see, who is this Jesus that we love and serve and fill our minds with? Well, verse 17, he comes down from the mountain with his 12 newly appointed apostles, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem, and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. And they come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because his power was coming out from him and healing them all. See, it's a vast crowd. It's a mixed group. Many, many disciples, and many are onlookers from all over Israel and much further afield. And notice they bring to him the sick, and those who are disturbed by evil, and they come to be taught by him and to be healed. 
And you notice in verse 19, the whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. And this is a vital piece of information. Jesus is the undisputed king of God's kingdom. He has all of God's authority over sickness. He demonstrates ability and absolute command over evil. This is Jesus, his supreme majesty on display with vast throngs of people gathered with with any number of sicknesses. And as people are bringing to him those troubled with evil and sickness and disease, and power is kind of coming out of him with this extraordinary supernatural healings, and people who are burdened are walking away completely healed. In the presence of Jesus... Disease disappears. Evil is evicted. He is the sovereign, unmatched king of God. Now, I don't think these crowds are a particular surprise at all. You know, in my third year at college, my dad became extremely sick. He was on his deathbed for a number of weeks. He was in the ICU and fought for four months at Westmead Hospital. Is extremely sober experience visiting the ICU week after week, watching my dad in that frail state. But if Jesus were here, the intensive care units of Sydney would be empty. People will be flocking to this city. Forget the border closures at the moment. People would find a way to get here. One after another after another would just be healed. And so in these verses... We are being reminded of just who it is we are dealing with, just who it is we're about to listen to, the king of God's kingdom. Because in these verses, we get a snapshot of the kingdom of heaven, of what it will be like when we are physically present with Jesus. No hospitals in heaven, no funerals in heaven, no memorial services in heaven, no poverty in heaven, no growing old in heaven, no unhappiness no evil. Well, Jesus begins in verse 20 by giving his congratulations in the sermon. Verse 20, have a look. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you. You know, normally congratulations uh, come as a result of something positive happening in someone's life. The person who received the promotion, not the guy who loses his job. You congratulate somebody on the birth of their child, not on the loss of a loved one. Who then are these blessed ones, these members of Jesus' kingdom? Now, at first glance, it does appear that Jesus is suggesting it's the financially poor, the physically needy, the emotionally distressed, the socially excluded. So much so is that the case that through the centuries, many people have frequently drawn this straight line between poverty, need, distress, and being ostracized with God's favor. So here is Bono, the great theologian from U2, expressing this reality uh, in his own words. The one thing all faiths and ideologies can agree upon is that God is with the vulnerable and poor. God is in the slums and the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence where a mother has infected a child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. And God will be with with us if we are with them. 
Down through the centuries, people have drawn this very tight line between poverty and God's favour. But I do want to suggest that a more careful reading of this Bible, of this passage, and its place in its context of Jesus' words and the Gospel of Luke, paints a slightly different picture for us. You know, in preparation for this talk, I looked up almost every single reference on the poor and the hungry and the sad in the books of both Isaiah and the Psalms. And let me tell you, there are loads of them. And there is absolutely no doubt from what I read that God has a real concern for the poor and the needy in this world. However, it would be altogether a mistake to suggest that the poor and the sad and the hungry in the Old Testament equals those who are financially hard done by and the underprivileged and the emotionally disturbed and the social outcast. In fact, frequently, the poor are those who are spiritually poor, who are deeply conscious of their desperate need for God's help. Just have a look with me. It's going to come up on the screen from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 17. The prophet Isaiah here is speaking about God's new creation. And this is, what he, this is what he says. Isn't it true that just in a little while, Lebanon will become an orchard, and that orchard will seem like a forest? On that day, the deaf will hear the words of the document, and out of the darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The humble, the humble will have joy, after the, um, have joy after joy in the Lord, and the poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless one will vanish, the, the scorner will disappear, and so on, he, he goes. But who are these humble that he speaks of? The blind and the poor and the deaf. Well, they're the people of chapter 29, verse 1. They are the people of Jerusalem. When Jerusalem has been conquered... And God's city has been driven into exile and they lament and they are full of sadness because they are experiencing the judgment of their God. So you cannot read the poor and the blind and the humble and the deaf as a different group of people from the beginning of chapter 29. And the people at the beginning of this chapter are those who have been driven out of the very presence of God and therefore are desperately sad and weeping and mourning. Now, you find this reality actually all over and over again in the Old Testament. So I just want to stress, the poor does not necessarily equal those who suffer financial need. The poor, according to Jesus, are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. Those who mourn are those who primarily, not ones who have lost a loved one, but those who mourn the sin in their lives. So when Jesus has in front of him this vast crowd and he turns to his disciples and he says, blessed are you who are poor because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. He's calling, he's calling those who sense their spiritual need, those who grieve their spiritual poverty, who hunger for God's intervention in their lives. And he's saying to them, you are blessed Happy are you because I am here. The kingdom has arrived and all of the blessings of the kingdom are to flow to those who are spiritually poor, who hunger spiritually, who look to Jesus, those who weep spiritually and mourn spiritually because they will have God's intervention in their lives. You know, that actually fits with everything we've learned in the Gospel of Luke so far. Jesus proclaims in his first sermon, the Spirit is on me to pronounce good news to the poor. And who are the poor there? 
It's sinners, Jesus says. I have come to call sinners to repentance. Those who are conscious of their own spiritual poverty and turn to Jesus. He says, I will describe you as blessed. Then verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil. Notice they won't call you irrelevant or boring, evil. Why? Because of the Son of Man. I mean, that's a bit different from the promises we often reflect on as Christians, isn't it? Come to Jesus and you will find rest for your souls. I like that one. But that's not here. It's come to Jesus and you will be hated and excluded and rejected and ignored. This is the Christian life. Welcome to following Jesus. There is not a bit of prosperity gospel in these words. The promise here is insult and injury. And blessed are you when these things happen to you because of me, he says. Because you're on my side. And notice that the persecution has already been happening in the Gospel of Luke for Jesus and his followers. And it's not been the atheists or the agnostics. It's the religious people. Just before this, Jesus has been copying it and his disciples have been copying it because they've been breaking the Pharisees' man-made laws. Jesus preaching on persecution to the twelve and all Christian disciples. This is a part of the deal if you have me as Lord, says Jesus. And from that moment on, Jesus gives, uh, and, and from that moment on that Jesus gave his first sermon, they constantly persecuted him. You know, the first sermon I ever preached at, uh, during my ministry apprentice days, someone came up to me at the end of it and said that was a very interesting sermon. I quickly learned that an interesting sermon comment from that person was not a compliment. That was the worst that ever happened to me. Jesus preaches his first sermon and they take him to the edge of the cliff and they want to throw him off the edge. And then from that moment on, they hunt him down until they execute him on the cross. Now, how does Jesus want us to think about such things when we're getting laughed at, ridiculed, when people are saying hateful things on your Facebook feed because of something you posted? There's not a hint of pity from him. There's not a sense that you are a victim. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way your ancestors used to treat the prophets. You are blessed when bad things happen to you because you have found loyalty to me, says Jesus. Happy are you when people talk behind your backs because you have declared me as your Lord. Because Jesus has made a difference in your life, the world doesn't like that difference. Because their conscience is convicting them of their sin, just like yours was when you were on the other side of the issue. You know, simple people have to deal with that conviction in their lives. And one of the best ways to deal with it is by pushing those away in their lives which convict them of their own need of God's mercy and grace. Blessed are you. Not because you're a judgmental creep or you're living some hypocritical Christian life. No, blessed are you when you go against the current. Now, don't think Jesus doesn't know this pain. Like I said, the moment he went public with his ministry, he experienced persecution. 
because everyone who wants to live a godly life and who wants to look like Jesus will be persecuted. You will have pressure put upon you some way or another. And it's all the way through Jesus' life until they laugh at him and mock him and spit on him. You know, a lot of the pain of the cross was the insults hurled at Jesus. He saved others. But he can't even save himself. I mean, after all the good that he had done, all the healings, the people he had raised from the dead, all that good, and they laugh and mock the Son of God. He's stripped bare of all dignity. And the word that he uses for this experience, rejoice and leap for joy. Two reasons are given that we can be joyful in the midst of suffering. Verse 23, he says, for this is how they treated the prophets. Jesus says, being part of the group of followers, that you're a part of this special group that runs all the way back to Moses and Abraham and Noah. This is the group that on the last day, they will hear those six beautiful words from their Lord and Saviour. Well done, good and faithful servant. The other reason for rejoicing is because great is your reward in heaven. You know, I know he doesn't spell out the details, but I tell you what, that will keep me going. Not small, great is your reward. Your suffering will not be in vain. The suffering now cannot be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed. Hang in there, says Jesus. It is totally worth it. But what is Jesus' verdict on the people who are not loyal to him and don't love him? Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when they speak well of you, for this is the way the ancestors used to treat the false prophets. The point here is that if you are not a part of the disciples of Jesus... You would better enjoy what you have now because it's all you're ever going to get. You see, the world is very different for Jesus' disciples than for the crowd. For the Jesus' disciples, this is the worst it's ever going to get in your life. But if you're a part of the crowd, an outsider to Jesus, this is the best it is ever going to get. And then woe and judgment. They will go hungry. They will mourn and they will weep. Well, as we finish, I want to make this point. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10 verse 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, finish the sentence for me. What is it? You will be saved. Isn't that interesting? We are justified by faith alone. That is so clear from God's word. But he doesn't say, if you believe in your heart that you will be saved. He says, if you confess with your mouth, you need to make a personal commitment to Jesus. But it cannot be a private commitment. There is no place for private disciples of Jesus. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. And he calls on you not to be ashamed of him. So I am pleading with you, 
Do not be a private disciple of our Lord and Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to know that we are blessed when we are mocked and scorned and persecuted in this world. For great is our reward in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.